This is the FS Tech Podcast. Hello and welcome to the FS Tech Podcast. I'm Hannah McGrath, editor of FS Tech, and today we're going to delve into the key challenges for financial services firms as they look to provide secure remote access to applications and devices as employees increasingly work from anywhere. As the workforce prepares for the long-term shift to hybrid working, financial services organisations are considering how the established operating model should change to maintain both security and agility. But hybrid working comes with its own challenges, whether it's personal devices accessing corporate data and applications or cyber criminals exploiting vulnerabilities opened up by remote access, the risk is vast. Enhancing IT security seems an obvious route to address the challenge, but how do FS organisations meet the demand for agility without increasing complexity? And what measures should they consider to make hybrid working secure without reducing employee productivity? In addition, how are companies integrating secure access into wider strategic priorities as they scale? So to answer all of these questions and more, uh, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Helen Patton, who's advisory CISO, and Richard Archdeacon, who's also advisory CISO from Duo, a secure access specialist, which is now part of Cisco. Thanks so much for joining me uh, on the podcast, Helen and Richard. It's great to have you here today. Thanks for having us. I know. It's brilliant. Um, so we're just going to we're going to jump into our first question here uh, and um, feel free to, to answer either one of you. It's absolutely fine. So what security strategies are FS organizations taking to adapt to the remote access requirements of our new hybrid working model? I, th- I think it's really interesting, um, Helen. I don't know if you've seen this, but there's different types of future direction now coming out for some of the big financial services organizations. I think one of the big names has just said, hybrid working, you're all coming back into the office. Another one, I think your alma mater has said, probably 50% of the time in our London and Bournemouth office. Mm -hmm. So there's this mixed approach to it and how people are going to be working in the future. I guess what I'm trying to say, it's as clear as mud what what the exact future will be. So what we've got to do is try and plan for what we see happening currently from a security point of view and how it's going to progress over time. Because my reckoning is in two years time, it will have advanced again. This is a a trend that's been going on for some time. So it will evolve. So um, what we have to think about now is how the business will be now and then how it's going to change over the next couple of years. And I think that that's going to become increasingly important when we talk about topics such as strategic resilience, where now, um, the concept of human capital and the resilience of your human capital is going to be incredibly important. Maintaining productivity, but also a place where people want to work. And, and security, we've always tended to make it hard for people to work. We've now got to put a plan in place which makes it easy for people to work whilst maintaining their security. So those are sort of some of the top level trends and thoughts I think we have to bear in mind um, going forward. What's your take on that, Helen? I agree with Richard. I, I, I don't trust anybody who tells you that they know what's going to happen next. I think we'll see it play out. I think it's going to vary based on location as well. Different countries are handling sort of the, the COVID situation differently anyway. So some are going to be ahead and some are going to be a little behind. Financial services has always been interesting to me in that typically they've really put a hard line between personal and work technology spaces. 
unlike other verticals, there's, you know, that there isn't a lot of share between a personal space and a production space, which is completely appropriate. So we've seen things like VDI, we've seen things like not allowing to bring personal mobile devices and put them on the network, those kinds of things. And I think from an IT perspective, financial services has been a leader in thinking about how to make that segregation happen. But you go to a hybrid workforce and One, it's not just the technology security you've got to worry about. It's also the physical security and the whole business process. So where where is it enabled by tech? And where do you still have things like paper handling, for example, that has to happen? And how might that happen in a hybrid space? You've also got an assumption of physical security if you're in the office around the fact that you can't just walk into a banking location and wander about the cubicles you've got to get through security to do it well you don't have to do that at home at all so you know thinking about those things I think is going to put a renewed focus back on how do we secure the data whether the data is in a physical form or a digital form and hybrid isn't just about the location you work in hybrid is also about the flexibility of doing personal things and professional things at the same time flipping back and forth very quickly between those two things and if you've got a lot of security controls that are wrapped around your workplace that make it harder to flip back and forth people aren't going to want to do it so we are going to have to be much more dare i say it agile with our security practices in order to make hybrid the promise of hybrid working really come through yeah absolutely and I think I think you mentioned there you know it's obviously very sensitive data that financial services organizations are working with and um, remote access has been a real challenge over the past year and as Richard mentioned there's this sense of security providing a, a bit of friction and perhaps preventing employees from from doing the job that they need to do uh, and that being the perception around it and um, so what measures can FSIs take to make hybrid working more secure without reducing that that crucial employee productivity I'm smiling at Richard. I have a thought. Do you want me to go first, Richard? Absolutely. (laughs) So I I would be remiss if we didn't talk about just the, the login sequence that people have to go through to get to critical systems, right? So how do we think about password management? How do we think about the use of VDI and how people log in with VDI or through a VPN? We still have lots of VPN requirements under regulation, Um, but, you know, having a VPI unit and then, having to log in through VPN and then having to step up authenticate while you get to your high risk application, it's not going to work. So we really need to look at that on that authentication process and see what we can do to improve things. I don't know, Richard, what do you think? Absolutely. I think one of the characteristics of the financial services area is that whole complexity of logging in. As you you mentioned, there was the step up kind of process, which is very common. FSI, which might not be so common elsewhere. But how do we make it as flexible as possible? And how do we put in place some kind of approach which lets um, users log in once to fairly sort of medium, low risk type applications, but then go through other tests into the high risk applications? Mm-hmm. So I hate to say this, but it comes back to the risk driven approach. And you know, that's what banks do, they do risk. And I, they've been doing this for many, many decades now. So it's looking at it from that point of view. And then also understanding what resource they're going to be accessing, whereabouts it is. So how do we make it flexible for them to go in and flow through all of the standard kind of work that they want to do? And how do we then put in wrap around those additional authentications or controls 
on those high risk areas. Making sure, and I think sort of Helen alluded to that, that we um, keep within the boundary lines of something called compliance. <laughs> Just a small matter for financial. Just a small matter. Just a small matter. You know, when I was working in banking way back before my current role, we had the regulators sitting in the office right beside us. I'm going to be curious to see where the regulators decide to physically plonk their bodies because I think they're not going to be coming home with me. So, you know, where, where are they going to sit? It'll be fun to see how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, I think as, as Richard mentioned there, resources are distributed, data is distributed. Um, there, there's been a huge sort of shift over to, to cloud in the past uh, year for, for obvious reasons. Um, we've had to have remote cloud access uh, and, and access through, through lots of different um, means and, and methods. But in that authentication process, it's interesting to see um, employees becoming more familiar with that just because they've had to switch to more digital channels uh, across the board in their own personal lives. Um, so I think there is a there's a sense that you know that that is becoming um, more expected by employees who are doing hybrid working. So how are companies integrating this secure access and these logins into wider strategic priorities as they scale? How does security fit in there? Go ahead, Richard. Well, I I, I think that um, overall there's there's a number of of technology um, tectonic plates clashing at the moment. Um, you mentioned the, the cloud word, which has been around for some time which becomes slightly more complex for FSIs because ones I talk to all have to have multi-cloud providers for resilience purposes to keep that regulator happy, that compliance people happy. So, so they're having that kind of difficulty coming as this shift to, to the cloud going on. So having to manage their existing legacy systems as well as their future systems. Um, so I, I think what they're, they're trying to do is look at how they can do that um, in terms of common terminology and the, the first first buzz phrase to come out with 10 minutes in is the zero trust approach, which they're now adopting on a big scale, because that gives them the certainty of who is accessing what, because let's face it, security is easy. All you have to do is make sure that only the right person gets the right data, job done. A few, few complicated steps along the way, but if you can authenticate who they are in a way that they can access data across multiple clouds and in the legacy, that's useful. And that then ties into the zero trust concept and idea. And some are now also coming out, buzz phrase number two, with a SASE type approach as well. And I've seen um, a number of the very big um, FS um, organizations in London, for example, now focusing on that as a strategy. So they're beginning to pin those technology strategies underneath that business requirement for greater flexibility, both for the user and for the back end where they actually hold those resources. So that's what I'm beginning to see um, coming out of all the banks, um, especially across Europe and, and in London as well. Yeah, absolutely. Over to you, Helen. Yeah, all of what Richard said, plus, or in addition to that, going a little bit deeper, I think, especially if you're part of a security team at a bank, you're looking for much richer sources of data to know what's happening in your environment. So, you know, following a, a SASE philosophy or a zero trust philosophy, allows you to say it's not just about the user coming in through a VDI channel. In the, you know, going back a decade ago, we said VDI will solve everything. We don't care what kind of device they're using. We'll just give them this little portal and, and it'll be containerized and, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. 
it's not enough for us in terms of understanding user behavior analytics for insider threat or fraud or whatever the situation is to only be thinking about the person and the login. We need to understand what kind of devices they're using, where they're sitting, what the condition of the network is, whether or not their traffic is coming back on-prem or going straight to the cloud or however it's being worked out. So now you have this really rich group of data that you can then apply a whole bunch of things to, not just security analytics, but workforce efficiency and workforce engagement, dare I say it, a little bit of big brother potentially going on there, depending on how that's put together. But I think those are those larger strategies are bigger than just the security team. I think you talk to the technologists in general, how that how are technology folks enabling efficiency and effectiveness and engagement and all of those things. And security has got to be right there alongside it. But security can take advantage of those strategies as well, using the zero trust and SASE philosophies that seem to be embraced by financial services. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen we've seen in in the last few months um, a real sort of move towards um, the concept of DevSecOps. So integrating security in every single business area mm-hmm. and every part of a development cycle, particularly for applications. So yeah, it's a really interesting one there. So um, you mentioned VDIs there, and how are authentication and identity verification methods changing at the moment, and what role can automation play in this process? So there's a lot of buzz happening, and I don't know if it's just buzz yet, around passwordless and the ability to really incorporate in biometrics. We're seeing a lot of changes in terms of industry standards, and we're seeing improvements in terms of biometric technologies that are now making them more usable. If you, again, you go back 10 years ago, it was sort of a nice idea, but pretty much a unicorn. I think the technology and our regulators I hope, are coming together to a point where those things are really usable. So, you know, I'd be looking to minimise passwords as being the dependent factor and getting, again, to a more streamlined authentication experience, but also hopefully one that's just a little bit more convenient and a little bit more secure for the company as well. I don't know, Richard, what are you seeing in your space? Certainly, I'll just pick up on that passwordless issue because that, again, is a very very uh, hot sort of topic at the moment. People aren't implementing their thinking about how they go forward. I'll just go back to a couple of points about um, how you authenticate and the visibility around authenticating and that rich data set. I think that's becoming very important. And I'm going to say this with some hesitance, but it might be helpful in compliance because you're going to be able to analyze um, what you're seeing, what you're doing every day in a much, much greater detail, far more granular detail. So, for example, you will be able to tell what device somebody logs in and the status of that device every single login attempt there is. So I think that 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 could be helpful. So let's be positive. I'm trying to sort of put a positive spin on it. Um, But on top of that, one of the other shifts is towards SaaS-delivered solutions as well. And I think this is going to bring about a certain amount of change because it'll take the, the maintenance and operation overhead away as much as possible from those running security teams within um, FS organizations and allow them to switch internally and look a lot more at policy and granular definition of who, what, why, and where, and to be able to report on that. And I think that's always going to be a, a great help because you, that's going to be a bit of a bugbear. Going back 15 years when DLP came out, everybody thought, great, let's put DLP in. And I, I remember one bank I, I was working with, they put 23 people onto policy and they didn't even realize they would have to do that. So if we can take um, reduce the effort on 
operations and maintenance and let folk, people focus on the policy and the reporting. I think that will help security people going forward. And it'll give us an, as um, better foundations we can hope to shift in the future to that passwordless world, which is what people want. They want to use the, the enhanced biometrics we've got, the enhanced tools we have on um, our phones to be able to authenticate more easily. You know, as one person put it, you just type in your username, look up, you carry on working because that's all that's needed. And we've always got to remember people coming to do their work, they don't come in to do security. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess there you've got to strike the right balance between ease of access and seamlessness for the user, but also protecting very sensitive data. And that that brings with it a raft of compliance issues. How are FS organizations using secure access and automation to, to meet those compliance requirements? You touched on it a bit before, but, but specifically in terms of sensitive data, um, how's that working? Well, I think what we're seeing is um, this greater focus on how you can manage and oversee authentication into those key assets. Looking at sort of analytics around user behavior, it's coming on. I wouldn't honestly say it's absolutely perfect, but I think it's contributing to looking at how people are, are accessing that data. So I think that um, we're beginning to get these more sophisticated approaches where people um, will be able to, to understand how an access is being, how we can analyze it, how we can review it, how can we start to build up that data set, which will allow us to take more sophisticated decisions. It's like passwordless, it's a growing kind of tool that's out there at the moment. And Helen, are you seeing similar things? I am. I think that from a risk-based approach, there's definitely how do you um, maximize your protections around authentication and the personal experience because that is a place where bad things can happen. I also see on the back end of it though where we are seeing a lot of technology that is supporting monitoring of configurations of systems that hold sensitive data and real-time alerting around changes to configurations that then the security teams can take those and either in an automated way attend to the issue. So anything from, you know, an AWS S3 bucket being accidentally misconfigured so the data is, is made available through to maybe a, a Microsoft ADFS store somewhere showing up in a funny place there's the what can we do around the personal experience but the, on the back end then there's also what can we do around making sure that the data stores that hold this this information are as secure as they need to be all the time so you know moving again through this lens of policy to being able to say how do we make sure that access to our data is continuously trusted and and that sort of continuous trusted authentication is a piece of it, but also continuously trusting the configurations of the system is another part as well. Yeah, and, and on a related note, as part of that sort of continuous almost surveillance of what's happening within systems and networks, um, how are automated technologies and machine learning able to act as an early warning system for potential risks? Can I just tell you, I think machine learning is an interesting technology, but machine learning looks for what it knows to look for. It doesn't look for what it doesn't know to look for. So I think there is a role for it. And what that role does is it frees up security teams and other IT folks to be focusing on the unexpected and the unknowns, but it, it isn't going to be ever a complete band-aid against 
a known risk there. So machine learning will make it easier to do the known pieces of the role, but we'll still need experts who can deal with the unknown pieces of the role, I think. I don't know, Richard, what do you think? Yeah, do, think do you think ML's there yet? Um, I think it's it's growing and it's becoming useful. And, you know, we're using it. We're trying to 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 enhance the, our capabilities with machine learning. But again, it, it's got some way to go. Um, mm -hmm. But just go to, back to the point that you were making, Helena, about the human uh, eyes on it actually making the difference. I think one element which is um, improving a lot is visibility across the whole stack. Um, I prefer the word visibility than surveillance, Hannah. I think that's slightly less, less aggressive. So we're going to be um, getting a certain amount of visibility across the stack. And what I find very interesting as well is that visibility always used to be hindsight, where we take log files and we process them and then people have to. We're also now getting far more, um, what I would call to the left of the field visibility, where we can try and identify something at its very inception and move very quickly to, to, to block it. And, and the typical simple example I come out with is ransomware. You know, it's dependent on one IOC, you see it appearing, you know, you have to patch update. Then as you set out a new policy change that everybody who has to log in has to update before they can log in. So you can block it right at the source rather than try to clear it up afterwards. So we're getting that sort of predictive behavior based on analytics, based on visibility across the stack. So I think that's one, one really very positive trend going back to days in the SOC where you were always running around trying to recreate new signatures the whole time. It's now getting a little bit more positive, um, a little bit more looking towards the left of, of, of the attack cycle. Absolutely. And then um, just to finish off, Helen, did you want to sort of feed into that on the, on the security side of things? Uh, no, I think Richard got it. <laughs> Okay. Um, unfortunately, um, we, we've come to time now. Um, I could have sp spoken to you guys about that. Um, is that there's clearly a, a lot to learn uh, and, and a huge amount of development going on in this space. So, so thanks very much, guys. Um, if our listeners want to find out more about Duo and the, the work that you guys do, um, where can we send them? Um, if people want to find out a little bit more about our research and what we're doing, if you go to duo.com, you'll find um, a lot of writing there, a lot of blogs, a lot of viewpoints, um, and, and look at the solutions we're looking at. We're constantly researching this issue, so hopefully we'll be feeding in more to that site at geo.com with uh, interesting points for CSOs. Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much to Helen and Richard uh, for your insights today. It's been great having you on the FS Tech podcast, and I look forward to welcoming you back to a future episode. Uh, many thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech podcast.